0: We're continuing our study in the life and times of Elisha. We have uh, today, we're in chapter 12 of Second Kings. I plan to do it in one shot, but it looks like it'll be two. And then we'll do chapter 13, probably two messages. And we'll be finished as we come to the death of Elisha. So let's read Second uh, Kings chapter 12. In the seventh year of Jehu... Jehoash became king, or that's Joash. Jehoash became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. Jehoash did right in the sight of the Lord all his days, in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. Only the high places were not taken away, the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Then Jehoash said to the priest, All the money of the sacred things which is brought into the house of the Lord, in current money, both the money of each man's assessment, and all the money which any man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord, Let the priests take it for themselves, each from his acquaintance, and they shall repair the damages of the house, wherever any damage may be found. But it came about in the twenty-third year of King Jehoash, the priests had not repaired the damages of the house. Then King Jehoash called for Jehoiada, the priest, and for the other priests, and said to them, why do, you, why do you not repair the damages of the house? Now, therefore, take no more money from your acquaintances, but pay it for the damages of the house. So the priests agreed that they would take no more money from the people, nor repair the damages of the house. But Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bored a hole in its lid And put it beside the altar, on the right side as one comes in to the house of the Lord. And the priest who guarded the threshold put in it all the money which was brought into the house of the Lord. When they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's scribe and the high priest came up and tied it in bags and counted the money which was found in the house of the Lord. They gave the money which was weighed out into the hands of those who did the work, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they paid it out to the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord and to the masons and the stonecutters and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the damages of the house of the Lord. And for all that was laid out, For the house to repair it. But there were not made for the house of the Lord silver cups, snuffers, bowls, trumpets, any vessels of gold or vessels of silver from the money which was brought into the house of the Lord. For they gave that to those who did the work, and with it they repaired the house of the Lord. Moreover, they did not require an accounting from the men into whose hand they gave the money to pay to those who did the work, for they dealt faithfully. The money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It was for the priests. Verse 17. Then Hazael, king of Aram, went up and fought against Gath and captured it. And Hazael set his face to go up to Jerusalem. Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his father's kings of Judah, had dedicated. And his own sacred things and all the gold that was found among the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent them to Hazael, king of Aram. And he went away from Jerusalem. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? His servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck down Joash at the house of Milo as he was going down to Silla. For Josachar, the son of Shimeoth and Jehoshabad, the son of Shomer, his servants, struck him and he died. And they buried him with his fathers in the city of David and Amaziah, his son, became king in his place. There are notes over to my left uh, with the lessons and if that's helpful to you. Again, we consider these stories, these incredible even dramas of what God was doing among his people. Here we've been looking at Judah in particular and after Athaliah's wiping out of all the sons except one, this Joash or Jehoash, uh, he was hidden in the house of the Lord by this godly aunt Jehoshabah and Jehoiada, her husband, the high priest. He was Raised there and in his seventh year was made king. We saw that in the previous chapter, and that will be of note uh, as we come a little deeper into the chapter today. The title I've given this section is Joash, Repairer and Robber of the House of God. Repairer and Robber of the House of God. It's shocking. The first part is very encouraging, how he started out, but the second part, as we read at the end, where he gave all of the gold items from the house of the Lord to this wicked king who was attacking Hazael. We'll come to that probably next week. The date of of his reign is approximately 836 to 797 B.C. He reigned, as it says in verse 1, Forty years in Jerusalem. We have his mother's name. Often we don't have that. Zibia of Beersheba. And if you look at the maps, and I hope you do if you have them in your Bible, you can see that at least uh, a Beersheba, assuming it's the same one, is right uh, near the center of the tribe of Simeon. Uh, within Judah, there is Simeon, and you'll see Beersheba. And that's where his mother, Zibia, was from. Verse 2 states that Jehoash did right in the sight of the Lord all his days. But there's not a period at the end there. There's the addition in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. And there's a little bit of challenge in the translation. Listen to a few other translations as we seek to open up this verse. The King James states, Wherein Jehoiada the priest instructed him. The ESV says that he did right in the sight of the Lord all his days because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. The Holman states that throughout the time Jehoiada the priest instructed him, Joash did what was right. The NIV says all the years Jehoiada the priest instructed him, he did right. So it's interesting that he did right, it seems only during the time that Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. And we'll see that, especially as we compare Second Chronicles, which states, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada, the priest. There was an end to his obedience, and it was way too soon. He did well in God's sight, but again, it's qualified by Jehoiada his adopted father. He was the foster father that raised him for those seven years and beyond and trained him throughout his life. But when, when he becomes a man, that is, Joash, he starts to walk away from what Jehoiada taught him. And it's a good question for us. What will be the, the true epitaph at our funeral? Uh, at the end, of someone who really knew us well, would it be that Brett did right in the sight of the Lord when he was preaching? Or Brett did right in the sight of the Lord uh, for the first 20 years? And it's, it's laughable in a sense, but it's also grievous that you can start so well and end so terribly. And our first lesson will be this. We ought to submit to our teachers yet make sure that we're submitting unto God. We ought to submit to our teachers. He submitted to Jehoiada as long as Jehoiada was training him and guiding him and telling him what to do, yet make sure that you, that we are submitting unto God really as our God. It seems that Joash submitted to God Indirectly, he submitted to God as he submitted to Jehoiada, which isn't enough. Listen to Second Chronicles 24, a grievous ending to this man who started well. But after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and bowed down before the king, that's Joash, and the king listened to them. Jehoiada's gone, these other people come in and he listens to them And it says, they abandoned the house of the Lord. This is the man who grew up in the house of the Lord and and he helped restore the house of the Lord. But at the end of his life, he listened to others and he and they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. So wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt. And at the end of our chapter, we see that wrath coming with Hazael, who attacked. And we'll hear more of that later. Further, it states that Joash the king did not remember the kindness which his father, Jehoiada, had shown him. He wasn't his biological father, remember. He was his foster father, his adoptive father. His father was the king who had been killed, Ahaziah. But it states that He forgot as he got older, as he supposedly became a young man and was established when his mentor died, he forgot all about it. He forgot the kindness which his father Jehoiada had shown him. But he murdered his son, that is Jehoiada's son, Zechariah. He killed his basically his half-brother. It's grievous. We ought to submit to our teachers, of course, Hebrews 13 comes to mind in the New Covenant. Obey your leaders and submit to them spiritually, your spiritual leaders, for they give an account to God. This man seemed to be doing well. He was submitting to Jehoiada, the high priest, his adopted father, but only for a season. Because really, he wasn't submitting to God. He was just following what this man had taught him which is good to a degree, but if your obedience, if your submission is only to young people, your parents, while you live at home, your obedience is not correct. Listen to a quote from Spurgeon on this topic. He said to his congregation, so many of you take your religion at second hand. You borrow it from the preacher. You copy it from your grandmothers. You follow custom as your guide and not the voice of God. You do not search the book of the Lord to discover whether these things be so or not for yourself. It's not enough to say I'm following the religion of my grandmother. I'm going to church because that's what grandma always did. I'm reading the Bible because that's what mom and dad did or do. It must be your own. God must be your own God. And it seems that Joash, it's remarkable that he did right in the sight of the Lord. And we heard that about Jehu to a degree. And, and we must read the full story. but. Jehoash did right in the sight of the Lord all his days in which Jehoiada instructed him. He did well for a season, but he didn't do well to the end. He became a murderer. Even the one who restored and repaired the house of God forsook the house of God. And he will give the precious things of the house of God to his enemies. So it's a good self-check. You may submit to your parents, you may submit to the elders of the church, you may submit to your spiritual advisors, but what about when they're gone? What will you do then? Maybe you're in the military and you get deployed to South Korea and you don't have a church, you may just have the chapel, you don't have the people you knew, and all of a sudden the reins are thrown off and you're free to do whatever you want. Young people, we've seen it many times, kids that grew up in the church when they were following what their parents said, but when when they get away and the reins are taken off, God is not their God. It's sobering that this man could go so far that he was raised in the temple, literally, for all those years, and he he was mentored by the high priest Jehoiada, a godly man whose legacy was profound. He was even buried in the tomb of the kings. He was so godly. And yet that did not ensure his adopted son, Joash, would be godly as well. A sobering story. Let us be warned by Joash to make sure that we're not only submitting to our teachers and our preachers and our pastors, but that we're ultimately submitting to God. There's a necessity of having God as your God, not only the God of your parents. Verse 3 continues with the the rebuke or the clarification of his obedience. Verse 3, as many other kings did the same. Verse 3, only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The reformation that had occurred that we read about, and all the success after they killed Athaliah and tore down the temple and killed his priest. Yet, they continued to go to those high places and offer sacrifices. Their repentance was a half repentance. And lesson two, let us ensure that our repentance is thorough and continuous. Sometimes we can repent once. Well, that's great. We should repent once, but then we repent a second time and a third time and a fourth time because the temptations will keep coming. It's not enough to repent just once. We must keep repenting the rest of our lives. We must keep turning from sin and resisting temptation. Our repentance must be thorough. We may destroy one idol, while meanwhile we got five more in the back seat. Our repentance must be thorough and continuous. And we see some of the Psalms review Israel, and they had a revival and they fell, and they had a revival and they fell, and they had a revival and they fell, because their repentance was half repentance, half hearted repentance. Let's make sure, brothers and sisters, that we keep on repenting and keep on believing. We can't say, well, I had that victory a year ago. No, we have to keep going. We have to keep on worshiping God. Again, check yourself. These stories are given as examples to us how we should live and how we should not live. That's why we read and study the Old and the New Testament. That's why it's profitable for teaching and correction. Let the word of God correct you and be warned from half-hearted repentance to make sure that we're continuing on, that we're persevering, that we're putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of Christ, by the power of the Spirit, that we might live and not be like Joash. God, keep us from being like that. And we can list people who who seem to be Christians for even years and decades and finally they turned away. And I think Joash is one of them who revealed utter wickedness in killing his half-brother and really starting to tear down the very house of God that he built up. Verse 4. Verse 4. Some good things about Joash. He said to the priest, all the money of the sacred things which is brought into the house of the Lord in current money... And there's two examples here, both the money of each man's assessment, secondly, and all the money which any man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord. Let the priests take it for themselves, each from his acquaintance, and they shall repair the damages of the house wherever any damage may be found. So, Joash and God's providence did good. In this area, he was the repairer of the temple. He was the repairer of the house of God. Wiseman lists four types of money that the that were gathered into the temple. um, for first we we would consider the daily sacred dues that, that were given to the temple. Uh, Second was the poll tax of a half shekel, about five grams, for each registered male. You can read about that in Exodus. Third, payments for vows. And fourth, voluntary gifts. We have at least two here in verses four and five. We have um, this assessment, which which seems to be this half shekel uh, tax for each registered male. And then we have this voluntary gift. So we have these two-fold gifts, the regular assessment that is that is collected, and then this uh, free will uh, giving from each man's heart. Now, it's noted that coinage didn't begin really until the 5th century B.C. So these were little bits of metal. They weren't coins like we carry in our pocket. They were pieces, chunks uh, of metal. And you'll see later, if you caught it, it said... And they they weighed it out. It It was coins, if you will, by weight. It was little chunks of silver or gold or bronze or precious metals that they would melt down and then have ingots that had value. And they used them in the house of God for many purposes, but also they used them as payment, which is fascinating. And just as a side note, approximately how old was the temple by this point? Does anyone have a guesstimate? Was it 10, 15, 20? It was 124 years old. So think of some buildings that you might, maybe you've lived in a building that old, 124-year-old temple, and there were a lot of issues that had happened, and particularly Athaliah's sons had stolen things out of the temple, or at least her descendants or her <laughs> friends, and surely damaged it, and time had taken a toll. Therefore, the temple needed to be repaired. Some of you uh, uh, worshiped in churches that own buildings and they needed great repair. Uh, I heard stories and, and, and there's big issues and votes and things that go on with structures. Well, if you live in a 124-year-old just a house, you're going to have a lot of routine maintenance, let, let alone 10, 20, 30, 40, 50-year, 100-year maintenance. So keep that in your mind's eye. The temple was, was quite old. And had been somewhat ransacked by Athaliah's sons. You can read about it in Chronicles. So he was saying, Hey, you need to take this money that was gathered and put it aside and repair the temple. And this was the boy that had grown up and noticed that wow, while those walls were really starting to crumble or, or this item was missing, this gold or silver piece, or things needed polished, things needed repair, the wood had rotted out. And he had noticed that growing up and it's encouraging in one sense that he, the place that was his home, he wanted to repair. He wanted to restore it. So this is good that he wanted to do this thing for the place wherein he had grown up. So considering that idea in the third place, ponder and praise God for his providential workings. Ponder And think about and and then praise God for his providential workings. Who better to repair the temple than someone who had grown up as a a one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, then was finally crowned king and he had a special care and his adopted father was the high priest. He continued to go to that temple and he was, I'm sure his dad said, yes, we haven't had money to fix this. Look at this, son. It shouldn't be this way, but, but we just can't fix it right now. Ponder and praise God for his providential workings. That little boy had grown up there. Now he was going to repair it. And even though he had a wicked end, God had a purpose for him, even as a boy, a young man, an adult man, to repair the house of God. David's seed was kept alive, partly for this purpose, to repair the house of God which is profound. And even, again, we, we, we grieve at his wickedness later in his life, but he had a purpose. And God had a purpose for him to repair the temple, ponder God's providence. And I thought of Saul of Tarsus. Who would have thought he would become a great apostle for Christ? Yet he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the scripture very well. And what a great... Uh, picture to see God's providence and in such a case as Jehoash, who would repair the temple, or even more and even greater would be Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the apostle, with all of his background, a Pharisee of Pharisees, to serve the Lord in in a great way. When you look at your own story, I'm sure you can see it. And we read about George Mueller in the men's uh, meeting. Yesterday, we talked about that he as a youth was, was a drunkard, was a thief, was put in prison, and he could go to those boys of England and say, I did that too, and that was wrong. And so providentially, God uses things in our lives and the lives of others to bring us to a point and we can look back and read the book of Providence and we ponder and praise God. And this is the case. We can praise God Lord, you you preserved that boy in the temple, and even though he would do great wickedness later, you used him to repair the temple. Which you'll see in the history of Judah, that repairing the temple continued on and on and on till it was destroyed, and even then, Ezra and Nehemiah would work to repair it again and again and again. So this idea continues in God's providence. Now some of the money I want to focus on Uh, Some of the money that was brought in, particularly this phrase, the money which any man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord. Which any man's heart prompts him. Lesson four, the old and new covenants recognize the value of giving from the heart. The old and the new covenants recognize the value of giving from the heart. Of course, I'm thinking of Second Corinthians 9.7. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That principle is seen here and it's beautiful. And we see it throughout the Old Covenant. There were these offerings that, that someone just Wanted to give beyond what was required, beyond the tithe or this tax or or this offering gift that was required, but people would actually be prompted within their heart to give a little extra, to give a little more from the heart. So ask yourself the question Do you give willingly from the heart? Do what not only, I'm not only speaking of to the church, but that's at least included, do we give things willingly or reluctantly or grudgingly? Maybe you've been in those churches where they pass the plate like four times in one service and you're giving under compulsion. Dig a little deeper. It's grievous that that happens. May we never be that way by God's grace. We ought to give not under compulsion, but from the heart, even as these men and women did, they gave from their heart, they purposed, and they gave in such a beautiful way. As a matter of fact, excuse me, Chronicles describes some of the giving when it says, All the officers and all the people rejoiced and brought in their levies, their monies, and dropped them into the chest until they had finished. They were rejoicing to give offerings. That's a good question. Do I ever rejoice to give my offering to the church? Lord, help us to be truly cheerful givers and to give with joy. Knowing that, Lord, even here in the church, you're going to bless the Panjuanis. Lord, that's a blessing. They have needs that we can help even in a little way. Or others. More could be said, but may God lead us in that and to have this cheerful a heart that resolves to give, not grudgingly, but joyfully. Well, now we'll segue into a few more details. And as we do that, listen again to Chronicles, which is paralleling, you can read chapter 24 on your own, a very valuable parallel, which states, he gathered the priests and Levites, which... Chronicles focuses often in adding the Levites, which Kings does not. But Joash gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah and collect money from all Israel to repair the house of your God annually, and you shall do the matter quickly. But the Levites did not act quickly. Keep that in mind. They did not act quickly. So back to our passage in Kings, Second Kings twelve six. But it came about that in the 23rd year of King Jehoash, the priests had not repaired the damages of the house. He told them what to do. He gave clear instructions, and he even told them to do it quickly. But when he was 30 years of age, his 23rd year as king, the damages were still not repaired. He gave clear instruction and he told them to do it quickly, but for some reason they delayed. They delayed. Was it several years? It seems to be. But at least we know, we have the date. It's in his, uh, his 23rd year as king. This happened. What could we learn from these priests and Levites by their inaction? Well, consider this in the fifth place. Let us pursue prompt action. When called called on to do good deeds let us pursue prompt action when called on to do good deeds I think as I read the proverbs laziness is one of the chief sins of man and of men in particular it's one of my chief temptations to be lazy If you're honest, men, maybe you'd say the same. I think women struggle less with laziness than men. The Proverbs are very clear. It's a great sin. Proverbs 15 19 says, The way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Now, we don't know were these priests lazy? Maybe there was another reason. Maybe they were just lazy, though. Maybe they didn't want to follow what this king said for some reason. Uh, We don't know, but he admonishes them and comes back to them and needs to get the chief priest involved. Let us not be like them. And all through Kings, we've seen examples where Elisha and others told people to do it, and it says, and they did it. Elisha said, go do this, and they did it. That's the type of people we want to be. We don't want to have someone come back to us and say, "Uh, I I asked you to do this uh, last week, last month, last year, and it's still undone. And I think all of us can say, we, maybe we had even a resolution, Lord, I, I'm going to do this, and then we never do it for various reasons. Maybe it's reaching out to someone. Maybe it's that letter you need to write. Maybe it's a phone call you need to make. Maybe you told someone you'd do something and you didn't do it, and you need to say, I'm sorry, I apologize, I, I failed. Especially in the good deeds that, the God, that God or maybe our mentors or pastors call us to do to take prompt action, let us not delay. Let us do it quickly unto the Lord and put to death laziness. Verse 7. So this continued. They weren't doing what he asked. Verse 7. Then King Jehoash called for Jehoiada, the chief priest. Chief is not there, but chief is elsewhere. I, I add that. Jehoiada, he's the chief priest. And for the other priests, he's taking it to the next level. There's an escalation. And he said to them, why do you not repair the damages of the house? He's questioning them. Why didn't you do it? Now, therefore, take no more money from your acquaintances, but pay it for the damages of the house. Maybe they were keeping it for themselves too much. We don't have all the details, but he said, stop taking the money, stop collecting it, but what you have, pay it for the damages of the house of the Lord. Verse 8, so the priests agreed that they would take no more money from the people, nor repair the damages of the house. We're not taking any money and we're not repairing the house either. Very interesting phrases. But he escalates it to the chief priest to do all these repairs for the 100 and almost 25-year-old house of the Lord. And we know that uh, wicked Athaliah's children had broken in and stolen things and surely destroyed some of it. It was run down. They needed to get about repairing the damages to the house, but they were slow. We used to tell our kids, slow obedience is no obedience. Verse 9, but Jehoiada, he steps in. No more just dealing with other priests. But Jehoiada, the priest, took a chest, big wooden chest apparently, and bored a hole in its lid and put it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priests who guarded the threshold put in it all the money which was brought into the house of the Lord. Jehoiada had a new idea. We're going to put all the money as people come through this entrance or go by this chest. They're going to put the money into this chest as they come into the house of the Lord, the temple complex. Verse 10, when they saw that there was much money in the chest, so days and weeks, maybe months went by, the chest was filling up with money. Then the king's scribe and the high priest came and tied it in bags and counted the money which was found in the house of the Lord. So all these little bits of metal, the, uh, what was it, uh, was it five grams, the half shekel, these little chunks, they put them all in bags, probably going to melt them down into ingots. And, and there was a lot. Because remember, the people were giving joyfully. They were bringing all their bits of gold and silver to the temple, to the house of the Lord. And, and there's this political oversight from the king's scribe and the priestly oversight by Jehoiada himself. Verse 11. Then, excuse me, they gave the money which was weighed out. Notice that? Weighed out into the hands of those who did the work, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And they paid it out. And listen to these descriptions to the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord and to the masons and the stone cutters and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the damages of the house of the Lord and for all that was laid out for the house to repair it. That gives a picture of how much repair needed to be done. They needed all these people, the carpenters and the builders and the masons, the stone cutters, the timber. A lot had broken down, was rotted, was crumbling. So they had to get all these uh, experts and skilled people to come and fix it. And Chronicles adds, workers in iron and bronze. Remember, the temple just didn't plop down from heaven. It didn't just God could have sent it down to the exact specifications he wanted with heavenly material if he chose to. But remember, you can read 1 Kings 6 and 7 about how Hiram and Solomon brought in all these experts and all these materials that are described here. The temple was built by these experts made of stone and wood and gold and silver and these beautiful timbers from Lebanon and elsewhere, it didn't drop down from heaven. It was built by skilled labor, and it was repaired in the same way. Generally, thinking about that idea, which has, if you meditate on the house of God built by human hands, of course the New Testament contrasts that, but just thinking about this house built with human hands, we could note in the sixth place that normally the Lord uses regular means to accomplish his purposes. Even building the temple, the Lord used normal means of bringing in all these experts and and there were measurements and instructions and put it here and don't put it here and don't do this here and don't do that. But it was made by the hands of these expert workers' wood stone, and so forth. God chose to use the normal means. And most of our lives are like that. Yes, sometimes God works without the means and against the means, and we mark and note that. But most of life, God uses normal means. Even with His temple, the house of the Lord. Even the house of the Lord was built by hard work, sweat, sawing timber, Carving down stone. It's profound. And when you consider all those items that were in the temple. And the particular dimensions. And the gold and the silver overlays. And the carved pomegranates. And this and that. It was intricate. It was beautiful. And yet God used the regular means to build it. I think that's interesting in and of itself. Is it not? Verse 13 says what didn't happen. But there were not made for the house of the Lord silver cups, snuffers, bowls, trumpets, any vessels of gold or vessels of silver from the money which was brought into the house of the Lord. The money put in that money box, that chest, That money was not used for these things that was brought into the house of the Lord. Verse 14, For they gave that to those who did the work, and with it they repaired the house of the Lord. The money was given to the workers so they could do the repairs. Silver and gold was used for the repairs, and it was also used to pay the workers, to restore the temple. Verse 15, Moreover, They did not require an accounting from the men into whose hand they gave the money to pay those who did the work. Get this phrase for they dealt faithfully. For they dealt faithfully. The money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings was brought into the house of the Lord. It was for the priests. So this phrase for they dealt faithfully. What a beautiful description of these workers, of the, the foreman of the workers who received all this money, and there was a lot of it, and they had to hire all these people, all these workers. They didn't have to worry about it. They didn't even take an account because these men dealt faithfully. Our last lesson, number seven today, is this, simply, blessed are those who deal faithfully. It's like one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who deal faithfully. One author said, our use of money is always a test of faithfulness. I just heard a story last week in a church. One of the elders was doing something funny with the money and he, was, he had to step down. Of course, that's just in the church, let alone other categories where there are so many temptations to sidestep with money, taxes. But just think even more generally, blessed are those who deal faithfully. Jesus said, one who is faithful in in very little things is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. There are many areas in our lives where we have the temptation to be faithful or dishonest. What are we going to do? Are we going to be like these good men who dealt faithfully with the money gathered so that the temple could be repaired? Or are we going to just tell a little fib? A lie. There are many places you can fudge the numbers You can say you worked an extra 15 minutes when you didn't, maybe on your taxes. God calls us to be faithful in all things, to be honest 100% of the time, like these people, to deal faithfully. Are you being faithful with a little? If you aspire to do more in life, young people, older people, if we, Lord, use me in a greater way, well, have I been faithful with a little? Have I been faithful in the small things? How can we expect to do great things for God if we're not faithful in the little things? Let us pursue being like these men who didn't require anyone to go check them because they knew they dealt faithfully. What a blessing. And by God's grace, this describes us, brothers and sisters, But is there an area where maybe we need to repent? Maybe we were not as faithful as we should have been. Let us pursue as Jesus taught us to be faithful in little and to be faithful in much. Where time is gone, we will conclude with prayer. If you have any comments, I'd love to hear them. I hope that you are encouraged to search the scriptures, to meditate and compare scripture And that, uh, just in review, we ought to submit to our teachers, yet make sure that we're submitting unto God. Because Jehoash did not. He submitted for a season, but then he blew it. Second, let us ensure that our repentance is thorough and continuous. We cannot leave just a few idols in the back room. Third, ponder and praise God for his providential workings. This boy, Josh was raised in the temple and he became the repairer of the temple. Fourth, the old and new covenants recognize the value of giving from the heart. Let us be those cheerful givers in all that we give. Fifth, let us pursue prompt action when called on to do good deeds. Not to be lazy and someone has to say, I asked you to do that last week. Let us have prompt action. And sixth, we said, normally the Lord uses regular means to accomplish His purposes. The men built the temple with wood, with stone, and all those items, they built it. It didn't drop down from heaven. And finally, blessed are those who deal faithfully. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, for saving us, for washing us from our sins of unfaithfulness, of laziness, of idolatry. Lord, the sins that entangle our feet. Father, may we be encouraged to press on, to put to death the deeds of the flesh, any unfaithfulness. May we be warned by the example of Joash, who was faithful as long as his mentor was alive, but then he went off the rails. Father, would we be sure that you are our God and we're not following whether mom and dad or the pastors or our, our our hero preachers. We follow you, our God. We follow Christ. And may we be all in as such. Thank you for this privilege to study your word. May you write it on our memories and bring it to mind even this week and in the days ahead that you would get all the glory for yourself. Amen.